Ah, c'est bon. Je ne sais. I'm not familiar. <laughs> okay, it's devolving quickly here. I mean, doesn't it always wait? I just want to link you to the brief. I want to give you the information that you need. <laughs> I've had a wacky morning, guys. It's been wacky. What's been wacky about your morning, Sylvie? What's going on over there? Oh, no, no. Come on. Let's well, just start. Start. That's how we start is I ask you a question and then you start talking. <laughs> no. Don't you say hello and then we start talking? Oh, okay. Hello and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, producer extraordinaire, Sylvie LeBeau. So what happened this morning? What was wacky? Sup, dog? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just deflecting. What was wacky? Well, it really started yesterday. It's like a wackiness that has continued from Sunday night into Monday morning, right? Okay. All right. So... I was visiting my friends in Kingston, New York. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Mm -hmm. um, they just moved into a new house. That's so great that you have friends. I have a plethora <laughs> of fronds. I know that might shock you. <laughs> I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of friends. Um, we are way off the rails. But I went to visit them, took Amtrak home, and... Uh, it got super delayed, like mm. delayed not once, but twice. So mm. once I was just waiting on the platform in the hot, hot heat oh, and eating man. veggie crisps and drinking water and listening to other people's conversations. Uh-huh. Then got on the train, finally came, and they decided to turn off the AC in the car. And I was mm. like, what the F? But went to the bathroom, came back, the lady sitting next to me started chatting. And you know when you know... Oh, you're talking for the whole time now. That's just it. Like, it's like yes. done. Yeah, you cross the threshold. Unspoken, you cross the yeah. threshold and then it's just, there's no going back. Right. Yeah. And at first I was kind of like annoyed because I was annoyed, yeah. like just at the train situation. But then I was like super into it and she was great. And uh, and then one of you gave the other one like a ride home from the train station. Yeah, we did Uber. We and did Uber. But did you exchange numbers? That's the question. Well, she has my information through Venmo. So... You know, it's interesting. So Venmo is social network. That's I great. think it can be. I think that's maybe the first time I, I've used it like that, though. So you paid her to basically to be like, yeah. thank you for the time. Thank you. For I the paid conversation. her to be my friend. Well, you know, it's nice that you're being open about that on a podcast, on a popular <laughs> podcast. Sylvie LeBeau, tons of friends that she pays for using Venmo. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, the wackiness just continued, like tried to put in my AC last night because it was so hot and my roommate and her friend helped and then woke up and went to the grocery store. Okay, and you're just telling us so, everything yeah. now? Just like every thought that comes? Well, <laughs> I don't. Oh, snorts back, snorts back. What's got you talking too loud? You know, I went to a wedding this weekend. Love that for it you. It was amazing and shocking and wild to like be back with people in yeah. person. And uh, everyone fully vaccinated. Um, of course. Of course. Love that. Um, and yeah, it was great. It was really fun. And it was interesting because like, you know, we're all catching up on the pandemic, obviously. But like, I can't tell you how many times our conversation with our guest today, Joe, Joe Brum, who's the creator of Bluey, we interviewed him last week. And it just came up a lot. Like Bluey came up a lot in conversation. There's a lot of parents there. Everyone knows Bluey. Um, but also just like 
something about this interview with Joe. And like, here's a guy who is an animator and, you know, decide he wanted to make a really high quality show. And he describes every episode as a short film. Um, and they're just so poignant. And this thing that's like this Australian TV show is like now an international hit. And then what do you do? Like, do you stay on the rocket? It's like, what do you want to do with your life almost, right? Like, it yeah. was so just interesting because I feel like everyone's reflecting right now. Everyone's trying to decide, okay, we're coming out of this thing. Like, am I doing what I want to do? Like, totally. where should I live? Who should I spend time with? Like, yeah. we haven't been able to consider these questions. And so it's just such an interesting time. Um, it's so funny how like a just beautiful, poignant TV show for kids, for preschoolers, about these like these blue dogs yeah. can like it, like illustrates illustrates this, this like yeah. this this thing that we're all going through. Absolutely. Um yeah, and just just real quick for folks who don't know, can you give us, you know, a short little short little sentence? Oh what's yes, bluey? what's bluey? What's bluey? Yeah. So Bluey is an award-winning Australian animated TV series. It's designed for preschoolers um, and it's about a family of anthropomorphic dogs. Six-year-old Bluey, her younger sister Bingo, their mom Chili, and their dad Bandit. Um, and it's just a really fun, heartwarming show about play. Also, just beautiful animation, amazing music and score, like oh yeah, amazing stories. The music is so good. Yes, and I've been watching this with my kids during the pandemic. It is like the most loved show that we have come across. Um, and the conversation with Joe, who is the creator of Bluey, was like really awesome. But it, I want to be clear, it's not just about like kids TV. Um, Joe's story is one about like a creator who found success and massive success um, and how he got there and those trade-offs and how he thinks about those things. And it's, I think, a quintessential creator success story, quintessential entrepreneurial adventure. And his story is not done being written, which is also really exciting. He is talking to us as their stuff is taking off, you know, billions and billions of people watching this. Um, so it's just super fun to have him on the show. I'm really excited for you to listen to this interview. Joe, I'm so excited that you're here and talking too loud. And uh, I'm I'm a big fan. I'm a big <laughs> fan of yours. I'm a big fan of Bluey. Um, every single person who interacts with your show cannot stop engaging with it. And there's <laughs> smiles and there's tears and it's just like this wonderful thing. Um, so I'm just so excited to have you here on the podcast and actually talk to you about it. Yeah. Uh, nice to meet you, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. So for those who don't know, how would you, what is Bluey and how would you describe it? Well, Bluey is a—it's primarily an animated preschool series. It's—I write it for between the age four and six. Although we do get um, younger, a lot of our audience is younger, and it's on uh, ABC here in Australia, and it's—it's it's, um, on Disney worldwide, and it's a show about a family of blue healer dogs who live in kind of a my version of Queensland. And it's very much focused on play and that imaginative sort of social play that four to six-year-olds just live and breathe. And how did you how did you decide to make the show? Like, how does it even work? Were you a writer before this? Did you want to make an animated series? Like, how do you end up making an animated series for four to six-year-olds? Yeah, no, I was an animator for most of my career. And I, I worked in, in London for a decade on in children's TV um, on sort of shows like Charlie and Lola and and when I moved back home to Australia, I, I wanted to get back into a big studio. And the best way to do that is to go back into a big series. So I always thought, look, 
I think I've got one of these series in me and I just had my kids and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to give this a go. And I mean, I'd, I'd written a few short films and made short films, but I wasn't a writer per se. So I kind of just jumped in and um, now I don't animate, now I write. So it did signal a bit of a change in my career. Uh, That's a big change. Yeah. yeah. I do miss animating, to be honest. Uh but then again, I'd done it for 20 years, you know, and it, I don't know. There's something really stressful about writing, but it's also just so uh, free, you know, when you're writing the script, it can just, it can go in any direction so quickly. Whereas animating is a bit more like a big ship. You sort of turn a bit slowly. Um, but yeah, both, look, I love both. And I sort of think of myself more as a writer director. I'd hate to lose the ability to carry, say, a joke that I've written through to the visuals i think that would be quite hard for me so i think at the moment i think of myself as a writer director and so you're making bluey and there's like 50 episodes a season right uh 52 yep 52 episodes a season like how do you go from not being a writer to having 104 unique stories <laughs> that are all like <laughs> that are all compelling <laughs> yeah you know what like it's a bunch of things now that i think about it, it like i used to play a lot of role-playing games when i was a kid you know, like a teenager and and I was always the what we call the game master and uh and you know like you just sort of get used to coming up with ideas on the fly and you got to move them around even though that was like 25 years ago uh I, I do think that at least set the stage for for just being able to quickly sort of come up with ideas and 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 be able to chop and change them as you need you know I, I sort of I watched and studied a lot of the shows that I really love, like Simpsons and Community and, and or like hundreds more, but really had a look at how they were how they were structuring their their stories. And then what I try to do is every character, whoever the main character of that story is, has an arc. You know, they start somewhere, they go through some trouble and they they sort of arrive at a new place. And it's not like I'm sitting there teaching anyone anything. I think it's just what we love about stories that when you watch a character go through something and emerge a bit different and it's something that's relatable, you do feel like you've learned something, but you, you, you're just being shown their character arc, uh, but you're going along with it and you're learning something and it's completely different to being lectured or preached at or hectored. You know, it's just, it's just a story of someone starting at A and ending up at B. Mm-hmm. And can you talk about the length of the episodes? They're like six, eight minutes. Is that right? Yeah, they're six minutes, 25, I think, when you take credits off. Uh, yeah, we arrived at that. I wouldn't say there's any great scientific method. Peppa Pig was five minutes and Charlie and Lola was 11. So I thought, you know what, <laughs> let's, let's go somewhere in the middle. And sometimes, I would say more often than not, the first pass of an of a animatic comes in at, 7.30 or eight minutes, and then I've got to cut it down to seven. It, very rarely does it come in under time. So, yeah, I, like sometimes I just, if I could get another 45 seconds, it would be amazing. So maybe if I did it all again, I might pitch it at 7.45, I would say. It's a specific, yeah, it's a yeah. specific number. So you make this show about kids and play and family. Um, and I was looking up some of the stats of Bluey because I, you know, we've watched it a lot. And then I started to look at some of the numbers. And I think my numbers are off, but there's like hundreds of millions of views, right? Of Bluey or more. Is that right? 
yeah, in Australia, we we fairly quickly broke all the what's called iView, which is the catch up on demand service. Uh, we sort of just broke all their records pretty quickly. I think they've stopped counting, but it, in Australia alone, it was up to half a billion views. Uh, and that was a year ago. And and we've got a population of 20 million. So someone's watching it a lot here in Australia. But yeah, it, it's also, we don't have figures, views really for the US, but it, it was when the season two premiered on Disney Junior, it was number one on Disney and it's number one on CBeebies in the UK at the moment. So yeah, it's doing well, especially overseas. It's great to see. Yeah, does that blow your mind on the scale? Because like the scale, when I think about it, is pretty, all right, definitely billions, billions and billions of views. But the number of things that we have done because of Bluey, you know, <laughs> keepy uppy, uppy, played absolutely constantly, the claw, claw like when my wife actually went out and my kids just start saying, it's daddy put down, it's daddy put down. I'm like, <laughs> this, it's just, it's like the references are just so constant. I mean, I feel like it's become the fabric of like, families' lives. But it's hard to see because everyone's been, at least here, they've, we've all been apart. Um, but is that how, how does that feel to make something that's like seen and uh, impacted so many people? Yeah, look, it feels incredible, to be honest. And it, it, mainly because, you know, it's, it's sort of that feeling of it was a big risk doing this. It, it was a lot of money that got put down and it was my first project of anywhere near this size, really. So, you know, there was no guarantee. It was, we had to train a whole crew up from scratch, really. There was a few veterans, but we, you know, we're, we're in Brisbane. It's not really an animation city. So I had to, you know, we had to train up all these students and a crew of sort of 40 to 50. So, you know, from, from coming from a very stressful place in that first season of not knowing whether we could even pull this off or whether it would be animated well enough that I could hold my head high as an animator to put it out there, to then kind of see it fairly quickly go, you know, a little bit bananas. And, and, and like you say, work its way into people's lexicons. I mean, that's, that was totally unexpected. I, I was really gratified that it was doing well and, and, you know, the show would get continued. But to do that sort of thing that The Simpsons did for me and my brothers, where we can now just talk in Simpsons shorthand, you know, if, if it's doing mm. even that a little bit, then, then it, yeah, it, it's, in, it's incredibly gratifying. It's just, it, it's almost like there's just too many like, oh, we're number one in this and now we're this. It, it just, yeah, it's like. You're getting a, used to it. You do. It's really weird. <laughs> and and it, it, I've thought a lot about it. You know, especially talking about, well, what do we do in the future? But at the very end of the day, the place I've arrived at is I really just love working with my crew and I love writing these things. and I love seeing what my crew does to my script and, you know, almost every process. It's hard to work a job it is. I just love the day to day of it. So all the success is is great. Um, But if it goes away, I've still had this really great experience of just spending day to day just getting to create stuff with as few little filters on top of that you know as i've ever had so yeah it, it is it's unreal it's amazing and it's funny because i feel like a lot of kids shows are like the, the it's the theme of like it's princesses it's robots it's dinosaurs and then here are just like this family of dogs um and it feels almost like you're getting advice and ideas <laughs> for how to parent um, but also the kids are just like so enamored by 
the story of whatever the episode is. You know, we watched um, the Shadowland episode. Yes. And like, it's just like, you know, for anyone who's listening who hasn't seen it, I, I don't know who you are, but um, it's this idea of like the kids are trying to make their way to a spot that's in the shadows of like a tree, like a picnic blanket, and the clouds are moving and it's this game. Can they make it by staying in the shadows? And both my girls were just like so enamored and giggling and laughing at this moment. And like, I, I watch it and think, how do you, how do you make something that resonates so deeply with this core audience? Like it, it feels like that's the dream of any creator, right? Is to make something that is, you know, your audience so well that you can go so deep, something so specific. And yet, like in this case, it's just running around, staying in the shadows and for six, six minutes and 25 seconds, you're just in it. You're, you're in it. You're laughing. Like, how do you think about that process um, for how to be that specific? Yeah, well, it's a good question, I think. I mean, I spent, as I was writing it, I was in there with my two girls. Now, I think that's the main point is that my girls were that age and I'd spent the previous two years before it playing all those games. So I was like, you know, living in with the gorillas, you know, in the jungle, like I was there <laughs> and they'd accepted me and I was, you know, learning their ways and learning what makes them laugh and what doesn't make them laugh and what works for them. So the first answer is I was just living it. And, and then the second is a bit of just a structural thing is, is the stories, hopefully, they have consequence to them, like each, each event kicks off a, a related event so it's a bit it's like a this causes this causes this so you know hopefully my story structure is compelling enough so it's not just random stuff happening and it loses the kids concentration uh and then i just try and have a really a, a story arc where you know a character you know is coming at it from one sort of pattern of behavior and it, they find that doesn't work and it causes this moment where they have to try a new pattern of behavior and they test that out and it works and works even better than before and you see them grow so that much as possible i try to get that in and i, I do think there's something deep inside us that responds to that structure and will just be compelled by it uh but yeah it's i still wonder that question to be honest chris it's like Somehow I do really, um, I just sort of trust my taste and, and I know what's going to make a kid laugh. And sometimes that is at odds with what I think will appeal to the older audience because I do try to appeal to parents. And sometimes we'll be watching a, an animatic at work with all our animators and, you know, there won't be, the, the grown-ups won't be responding, but I just know that that's for the kids. And then when you get five-year-olds in it, they just explode. So it's a really hard line to ride, but yeah, I think it's just spending a lot of time around my kids and their friends and just watching. It's just like how crazy they are and, and just what makes them laugh. It's always something physical. It's always teasing them. It's always like, you know, them getting up one up on you. It's, you know, every, all these kids, they're pretty similar, right? You know how to, you just try to annoy them. You know, it's like, you just say, look, you, I'm going to just, I'm going to buy you broccoli today. You're not getting ice cream. You're getting broccoli favorite ice cream. You know, like it's, it's simple, but they just, <laughs> you know, it's like it winds them up every time. They laugh. Just think like that. Is that like, I feel like that's um, like, I was traveling a few years ago and met a lot of Aussies when I was traveling and they all had that sort of like wind you up 
Like that was just their default mode to just like, is that is that like specific to Australia? Yeah, yeah, I, it must be. Uh, it's a very British thing. I think you you find that with Brits as well. But yeah, yeah, that's how I grew up. My dad just used to wind us up and all my uncles. And, and so I'm just passing it forward. Probably, I'm not sure whether it's recommended or not, but that's all I know. Just passing it forward at scale to billions. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I'm infecting everyone else. <laughs> Um, do you think of it as like, do you, do you think of Bluey as also a show that is giving people parental advice and ideas, or is that, is that just like a byproduct of having stuff that's for the kids and having stuff for that's for the parents? Yeah. I'd like to say the latter, you know, I, it's kind of like, you know, when you're a parent, as you know, you do spend a lot of time trying to figure your kids out. Right. And, or how, at least how to parent them better and so you mm-hmm. read a lot of, well I read a lot of books and talk to my wife a lot and our f- other parent friends and we you know you, the average parent conversation whether it's a stranger or someone at the park or one of your friends usually involves a little bit of swapping tactics you know and go look why don't you try yes. this it's like yes. because you'll just try anything so I guess the scripts do have a little bit of that so look this worked for me for this kid at this time and maybe I'll just show it and if it helps me, then I'll put it in there as long as it's funny and entertaining and part of the story. And then if, you know, maybe a parent can take that on. The only problem is the kids are watching it. So they're, they're kind of one step ahead. They know the little tactics that we're swapping each other with. So that's definitely a downside. But, yeah, it's I don't go in there trying to teach people how to parent because that's not what I'm about. But the show is for parents as well. And it's, it's about raising kids. It's about kids being raised and parents raising them. So you're going to just see some, some kid raising going on. And it's, it's definitely more fun to show it all going wrong. And uncle Stripe is who he's sort of me. And, and I just love showing, (laughs) you know, I love showing his sort of more bumbled attempts at trying to parent. Um, Yeah. So for every good bit of parenting, I like, it's funny to show some of the the not so ideal stuff as well. Yeah. And I, we were watching um, the first episode again with the the magic xylophone. Oh, yeah. Is that really magic? That was the question in our house. Is that xylophone? Is there real magic in the Bluey world? (laughs) Or are they just like, are the parents and the kids like, are Bluey, everybody like just so good. The idea here is that they play magic, when they play the xylophone, they have to freeze. Um, such a simple little idea, but like we were, they seemed so committed that we thought maybe it's actually magic is, and I need to know. Yeah, no, it's extreme commitment and extreme improv. <laughs> yes. And I knew it. We have yes. this debate a lot. My, the producer is always like, look, this looks like, <laughs> you know, the kids are magic or the parents are magic. And it's weird. I've got to stage it so that it's right on that line. You know, if, uh, if it's too far the other way, it, you lose some of the fun and the cartooniness of mm-hmm. it. But if you go, you know, too magical, I guess, or too instant in the sort of reactions, then, then yeah, it looks like magic. So it is a tricky one for me to get right. And we do try and set it up at the beginning with a little explanation as much as possible. But, but then, you know, a fairy turned up in one of the episodes. So that might throw the whole theory out a bit as well. But no, it's extreme <laughs> commitment. I mean, they're dogs. Like, you know, I think anytime someone says, "Oh man, this, these these parents are so committed," they are right. But that's where I just hide behind. These are dogs, and dogs love to play, and you know that's that's what they do best. 
I like that out. You have a constant out. Yeah. They're just <laughs> dogs. <laughs> Which is like the most autobiographical episode? Uh, well, I mean, so many of them are. Uh, Bumpy and the Wise Hole Wolfhound was, uh, you know, my, our daughter used to go to hospital quite a bit. Luckily, she's sort of starting to grow out of that. But that one was very autobiographical and, and very hard to make, you know, once mm. I written it just having to check in on all the the animation and all that was actually quite painful and i was Mm. sort of glad when it was done um like anyone with uncle stripe in it because he just makes such decisions a lot of the time um (laughs) (laughs) you know but then but does his best to learn from him he's he's sort of not so hard-headed uh and calypso was based on a teacher who really turned one of my kids sort of school experience around um that one i feel was uh it's not so much autobiographical but really really one of the apps i achieved what i set out to do which is just to show what this teacher did day to day with my girl that sort of brought her brought her background to being really enthused about um preschool and yeah, and you know, early baby was was not based on my experience, but one of my best mate and business partners' um, experience. So yeah, they're all they all come from somewhere. Either someone you know, one of my brothers or close friends, or my wife or myself. And baby race was very much my wife's <laughs> experience. So yeah, you know, it's hard to point at one that's not autobiographical, to be honest, in some way. Yeah, that must be like a nice. Like, even when all is, like, sort of said and done, you get to watch your life, like, sort of years years later. I'm being very inarticulate, but it's like a little memory box. I mean, they're all, like, dogs, but it's this, it's a weird, <laughs> it's a weird dog-shaped <laughs> photo album time capsule. Yeah, yeah. 100% Sylvie, and I do think that when this is all the smoke's cleared, I've got this thing which I can show the kids when they're growing up and say these are the games we used to play and this is what life was like and you know yeah that creek we used to go down that creek and and then you know most of the places are set you know we get the the artistic the creative visual inspiration from my hometown here so you know we can go to these places and people can go to these places and see them you know a lot of people get a kick out of that yeah and it's not like the stereotypical outback like what people think of when they think of down under. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, I was born out back and lived there for five years. So I do, you know, I know that terrain, but then most of my life was spent on the coast, you know, either in rainforest in North Queensland or down here, which is more subtropic. So, yeah, I, I just think, look, the outback thing is is fairly well uh what's the word leveraged is a bit too cynical but it's fairly well represented out in the outside world um it's a lot greener where i live so yeah we we had to show the suburbs and so now we've done two seasons do you feel like you want to do some number or move on to something else like how do you think about where is bluey the show in its journey at this point yeah well we're working on the third season now so that'll that'll be finished sometime early next year and that'll take us up to roughly 150 episodes. And then, you know, obviously there's a, a big appetite from, from everyone involved um, to do a season four. So we do have a number of structural creative issues to solve. Like if we, if we do go beyond season three, the, the 
all of the kids, the kid actors who play Bluey and Bingo and Rusty and, mm-hmm. you know, all the, the kids, they, they, are, they are getting, you know, they're ageing up and they're not sounding like, you know, they used to in the season same. one and two. Yeah. So we've got a, if, if we were to continue, there's a fairly decent creative question there or problem to solve. Um, and then, you know, I've got to look at how many more stories I've got in me. And so there's a number of decisions, but look, I'm still enjoying it at the moment. I'm still loving the crew and loving the show. So, yeah, I guess we'll, I, I, I've only ever taken it one season at a time. I think halfway through season one, I was like, oh, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> this is, <laughs> what the hell? Like, let's just get this done. And then you have a break and you're like, oh, yeah, let's go in season two. I was like, God, oh, this is the end of this. I don't want to go near season three. So, yeah, I've learned just to take it one season at a time. But, yeah, this time around we do have a little bit of a creative problem which needs solving. But, you know, I don't know. Every problem has a solution, right? Oh, yeah. That's how Savage thinks. That's not how I think. That's yeah. how you think. <laughs> yes. Syl- Sylvie just, you know, she hates all problems. That I'm a ne- cynical. I'm just a cynical <laughs> East Coaster. Um yeah. What about the voice acting sessions? I feel like those must be really fun. Like, who who voice acts? Like, how'd you get in touch with them? Well, the in terms of the adults, like the kids are just like you know, some of them are kid actors, and some of them are just friends and things we know. You know, friends, kids, and stuff. Uh, in terms of the and yeah, they're fun. You know, it's like they're it's always a challenge. Um, to get what's in your head when you write the script, perform, but um, we've got a pretty good way now of sort of of getting to where we want, and and yeah, they're a lot of fun. And and then the adults is uh, the bandits played by this guy Dave McCormack, who was like a front man for a, a, a really cool band from my city, Brisbane, back when I was in my the teenager, right? So I used to go and see these guys, and and he was always a real character. So he. <laughs> Uh, you know, he's just got, he's got front man. I, I don't have another word for it, but he's got front man energy and he's got front man presence, you know. Um, yeah. And he's like, look, there's no warm up for that dude. It's like, all right, Dave, I need you to pretend you're half a chicken and half a rat and he'll just start launching off into it right away. <laughs> he's like, yeah, right. right he's off. So he's awesome. And then Mel, um, Melanie Zanetti, who plays mum. And she's great. I, I discovered her through my little brother who does the sound on the show. And she's a proper actor, right? So Dave, I'll sort of line read, you know, whereas Mel, you just say, look, you know, Chili is quite sad in this scene, gut, and she'll she'll crush it. So two very different sort of approaches there. Uh, and then, yeah, it's quite fun now. The show's got a profile. We, there's like lots of Australian and international celebrities now who are kind of who've got kids who are like, oh, yeah, I'd love to do a voice. So, yeah, it's been a real spin out. Um, starting to record some some people who I really looked up to in, in film and TV growing up. You have like people in, like from your international audience who are saying like actors who you know are saying, get yeah. me on the show. Yeah, yeah, basically. Um, we it's it's sometimes hard to work through all the agent stuff but um yeah we've got a couple of sort of high profile voices on season three coming up that's awesome that's yeah, so yeah. cool have you ever have you ever thought about having an american you know just drop in for a visit because uh i'm ready i'm ready to submit my uh sizzle reel <laughs> all right sounds good <laughs> 
I'll get right. <laughs> Look, He's as like, he looks down, that, that sounds really good. I have to me. go now. Yeah, um, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> well, it's funny because, um, you know, a couple of the voices, you know, who have, have expressed interests of the big name people are American. And it, it is it is a bit of a challenge to go, well, how does a, an American voice turn up within Bluey? And But the answer is it's always through the TV shows they're watching or the movies, which yeah, because everything we watch out here as kids is either British or American, you know, or 90% of it. And so you grow up with American accents. So I really love it when the kids are watching a show in the in the bluey world. I always just put American accents in it, you know, because it, it a, it's a chance to use American accents and and it just fits. It just works, you know. Um, and, yeah, look, I mean, look, I'm not going to lie. I, I love the U.S. It's my second favourite country. And I've only been there a couple of times, but I, I just found, I just loved it. found the people were kind of different to Australians, but just sort of as, as friendly, you know, in a different way. And, um, yeah, I wish the, all the borders were open and I could, I could be over there and sort of following Bluey around a bit. Yeah. Bluey is welcome in the States when, when the borders are... Yeah, open. Yeah. I think we have a a question, a really important question from yes, someone. Let me get the, let me get a special person who wants to ask a question. A okay. special guest. This doesn't oh, well. ever happen, but she's been waiting patiently. Oh, okay, great. My name's Zoe. So this is Joe. Joe is the creator of Bluey. G'day, Zoe. Hey God. <laughs> Do you have any questions about Bluey? My choice? Well, what do you think we've been doing? We've been asking questions. <laughs> What's your favorite episode of Bluey, Zoe? My favorite episode of Bluey is um, Bingo. Like the episode is Bingo, but then like the name of the episode is Bingo. Yeah. Was it a surprise when that happened? Yeah, I thought it was going to be Bluey and then Bingo. Yeah, I know, Zoe. That was a little trick we played on all you kids. I hope it was a good surprise. Was it a good surprise? Yeah. Okay, yeah. you want to say bye? Bye. <laughs> bye, Zoe. <laughs> yeah, it's weird that that from feedback we got, it just freaked some kids out. You know, I guess they get so used and comforted by the titles to suddenly switch to, to a slightly different one. It did freak some kids out, but... <laughs> Um, Were they like, what's happening? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, because that the beginning is, I mean, it's very consistent and it kind of, it does ground you. I've been watching a lot of Bluey today. I went, I went hard on Bluey today. So now I'm just like in my head, like, bingo. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, there's a guy, Joff Bush, who does all our music and it's a real secret weapon of the show. Uh just that we have individual scores for each app and we spend a lot of time finessing the tiniest little details. And, and I mean, he's, he's just quite a musical genius really, especially with, with film and uh, the show wouldn't be, it just wouldn't be what it is without Joff. Yeah. Music. I mean, it is crazy. Music adds the whole other dimension to whatever content you're making, which Savage, I've said this before about our podcast. I love our, I love our music. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. oh yeah. What would we be without the music? We'd be, we'd I have don't nothing. Know. Um, so Joe, this show is called Talking Too Loud. 
And uh, as you know, when I get excited, as you've seen as I talk about Bluey, uh, I, I tend to talk too loud. But one of the things we love to ask our guests is what has them talking too loud? So what's got you going these days? Well, from a staying with TV, I just finished Mayor of Easttown. Oh, my God. Yeah, how good. <laughs> Sorry. You know, I, I don't even know what, like, you know, it's it's just a, you know, a detective police story, I guess. But it's just something in the writing and the, the acting was just amazing. And the show's, what's the show? It's supposed to be good or something? Dude, have you really not, have you seen it? <laughs> I continue to hear about it left and right, but I have oh, not actually seen it yet. Oh, my Lord, Savage. Okay. He's it's been watching watch. only yeah. Bluey, clearly. He doesn't have room for Mare. That's fine. <laughs> that, that's nothing wrong with Keep that. Keep watching Bluey. Keep watching it. <laughs> yeah. It's no problem. No problem for me here. <laughs> yeah, no, that and I think, um, you know, I love to surf when I can get the time and, and that kind of just getting out in the water is, is a lot of fun. But, yeah, look, Bluey has been fairly all-consuming, but I, there is, there's a couple of little projects I'd like to work on one day. I'd love to try a feature film, um, you know, move into adults a bit. and But, yeah, I think um, for now it, it sounds corny, but I, I do just love making this show. It's such a great crew. It's such a – yeah, it's a real privilege. That's amazing. I mean, that's the dream, right? Is to like work on something that you actually enjoy and have it resonate. And then it's like, can I keep doing this? Like, this is crazy. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you don't want to, you don't want to stop, but you, you do want to try different things. And yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a real turning point for me because for, for 25 years, you know, you've just been working, 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 you know, and, and, trying to get to what this is, you know, which is yeah. writing and animating and creating your own thing. And then, and then it's done really well, you know, it's done, you know, it's like, all oh, right, it's not like I've got to keep trying until something cracks it. It's like, this one's cracked it. So yeah, it's just like a story arc, really. There's this little, little turning point now, which I've got to figure out what the next half of my career is, you know? So yeah, but I'm not trying not to think about that too much. I've got I've got episodes to write and and to animate and stuff. But yeah, it's um, it's been a real, really fun experience. Do you think that you've been able to get to this place where you can just focus on the work and like as you're talking about, like you you seem really thankful that this is happening and also kind of like um, checking in on the fact that like all right like. I've, I have a show, it's taking off. Like, what do I want to do? Like, I want to keep doing it. Did you always have this mindset or is this something that you finally found with Bluey? Well, I always wanted to, like the most joy I got, well, the most sort of creative sort of satisfaction I got was by writing and animating something and having very little people influencing the writing you know like it was fun working on other people's shows but i always got the biggest kick out of you create something from scratch so this now is you know i've i've been able to make 150 short films from scratch right and what's more i don't have to do it all myself you know i don't have to do the yeah. art direction and all this i've got this team who just can do things way better than i can do it so it's this yeah, it's where I've always wanted to be, which is uh, we've still got broadcasters who tell me what to do and what I can't do. But for the most part, it's like if I come up with, right, I want to do a, an episode where 
you know, they're jumping on shadows, then, then I write it and, and we pull it off and then I get control over, yeah, let's have the music this way. And, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm in exactly where I wanted to always be, you know, and have been working towards as an animator. So the question is, well, do you, do you, you know, this is it, do you just keep doing it or, you know, or like what's next? So, I mean, for me, I just physically, if I know that I'm going to work on a season that's not going to be as good as the previous one for whatever reason, if I'm not feeling it or whatever, then I, I just, I can't really do that. It's so much work and it's so much creative pride wrapped up in it that if I know that I don't have it in me to top the previous season, I would find it extremely difficult to to sign on to that. So that's kind of just how I'm wired. Um, so, yeah, all those factors are coming in, um, you know, which are make they're all weighing in on what to do next. But then I just come back to, look, it's good fun now. Just keep going. Just, like, keep writing a script, keep having fun today. It's, it's cool to hear you, like, talk through this because I feel like um... – the way you're describing this is like, to me, is very similar to entrepreneurship, which is like you search, 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 search. And then dream is to find something that people actually, you know, want to use. They want to spend time with, they want to pay for, they want to give you their email, whatever the business model, but you find something that people actually want to connect with. And then it starts really going, which is, that's what you signed up for, right? Is like to find, to find this moment. And then it, a lot of it comes back down to like your psychological state of, are you getting joy out of the work? Like, are you pushing? And it's like the moment I think that you decide, I don't want to evolve more. I don't want to take this further. I don't want to push myself or it's not fun. That's when you should get off the ride. But it's like this funny thing because we spend so long searching for it. And then when you're there, it's like this constant question, like, am I bringing my whole self to this? Am I, am I getting what I need out of it? Um, it happens so often, I think, that like so, so many people would dream to be in the spot that you're in, to have a show that has an audience with distributors with, you know, that's like gets awards and like the scale is crazy and you still have complete creative control, which is like wild. But then that comes with the big responsibility, which ultimately is like, am I excited about doing this tomorrow? And mm -hmm. if I'm not, like, I know I can't put my whole self into it and it probably won't be as good. And I don't want to put out stuff I'm embarrassed by or disappointed in or whatever. And I feel like it's very similar to this this entrepreneurial journey of like trying to be in tune with like what you need and can you match that to what you're giving others? Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's uh, I mean, you get so much more practice and so much more experience at the searching part of it. Right. Like I got pretty good at that searching for 20 years, but when it happens, it's like, all right, I got to throw all those books out and now, uh, you know, now figure this little space out. And the thing is, it's, it's not like it's always easy, right? Like, you know, I've had times where I've really let myself down um, with the crew and the stresses of sort of, you know, they sometimes they get on top of you a bit and, it, it, you know, it is, there's 50 people and, you know, every episode's got to be worth everyone's time. So, yeah, it's like there are some physical stresses there as well. Um, and, yeah, exactly right. Like, you know, I would have killed to be in this position and when you're in it, you're like, well, just stay in it. But the thing that got me here and into this position was sort of this attitude of, well, I, only, I can only do something if it's like 100% into it. And I don't have a great deal of control as uh, to maintaining that circumstance. You know, if I feel like, you know what, I think that's kind of it for the Healer family stories I got in my head, then that's kind of it. Um, 
But in saying that, you've got 50 people working for you. You've got all these toy companies and all this. So you, you've got to be a little more cognizant of that. So yeah, Chris, when I do talk about it, it does end up sort of waffling words, but it's because it is just such a, there are so many different thoughts and, and things involved with it. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's, I think you're, I think you're right. It, it would seem like it is a business of sorts. It is a, it is a entrepreneurial sort of mindset. Well, I think it's also like you're sharing this thing that everyone doesn't always share, right? Like you're bringing people in on like your own thought process on should I keep going or not, or what motivates me to keep going. And I, I think, I just think a lot about that because our strengths are our weaknesses so often, like whatever the thing is, we're really good. That's what I thought, feel like is true over and over and over. I learned this lesson. It's like, oh, this person's incredibly organized, incredible thinker. Um, they come out with these amazing things, but they do it by themselves. And, you know, like they, it's like, it's like, yeah. there's always something. Um, and I just think that being in tune with that is just so important. And it's, and it's cool that you're bringing people in uh, because not everyone does that. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, the other thing is my kids, they're older now, like they're not in that age group four to six. And so I'm not living in that world as much. And every year that goes by, it's not that I feel like a fraud, but I, I'm starting to forget what the four to six year old brain yeah. is like, you know, and, and I'm seeing a 10 year old brain and, and now I'm fascinated with that and trying to figure that little stage out. And it's like, wow, it'd be good to make a cartoon aimed at this age group, you know? So can't you just grow them up? Grow, grow bluey up. Well, that's mm. that's one of the um, the, you know, that would be one solution. But the you think about <laughs> you don't like uh, that one. Oh, that would be a solution, Chris. But I'm I'm not a fan. <laughs> no, and well, and neither would be the the people paying for the show. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> it's that. It's that. It's like you could do it, but uh, yeah, you know, it's still a preschool show. They've paid for a preschool show. They they want a preschool show, so. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I love that strength as your weakness thing. I, that strikes a chord. That definitely does. You know, Bluey is Bluey because, like, let's be frank, like, I didn't like a great deal of kids' TV shows that were on TV. I really didn't. And I still don't. A lot of them were annoying and, I, and a lot of them were cheaply made and were just yeah. sort of factory yeah, it's just get the same script writers. They write the same scripts. You know, it's the same stories. They just got different characters. You know, and and I didn't find many of them imaginative. Like the kids are still watch them. So when it came time to do Bluey, you know, to a certain extent, that that well worn groove turned up. It's like, all right, well, you did a great pilot, but let's start looking at a writers' room and some writers, and you know, maybe we'll make Bluey a boy. We should just have a boy and a girl. And I, you know, the alcohol in me was like, no, like I'm not doing any of that. All that gets you all this stuff I don't like. And so quite a bit of that first period of Bluey was me saying, no, we're not doing any of that. So we're doing two girls because i got two girls. You know, I want individual scores on each thing. You know, it's like we're making some short films here. So that kind of attitude um, is now, it, it's, it's great. It's got Bluey to where it was, but it makes it hard to keep it as this sort of product that you can just extrapolate 10 years into the future, you know, because mm -hmm. it's like, no, nah, like I don't want to change the kids' voices. It's like the, the kid, like Zoe, you know, she knows those kids' voices. You're not just going to yes. suddenly change yeah. it. You know? um, that's not creatively a decision I want to make. So I can understand why you would want to make that decision, but if I think it's going to 
not be good for the audience and all I do is think about the audience, then I don't want to make it. And that asshole in me is like, ah, well, you know. The strength is the weakness. Yeah, that's your yeah. point. The point, yeah, the point is like it's so authentic. It's based on your family. It's got the two girls. It's got these kids like actually growing up, and you could feel it. That then, if you fake it, you know it's not going to be what it was. Totally, and that's almost that's kind of heartbreaking for me. I, I love the mm-hmm. idea of just that was bluey. You know, it was a good show. Well, maybe next you take on The Simpsons. Just take them on direct. <laughs> You know what? I've started watching The Simpsons with my youngest now, and I can't tell you how much joy it is bringing me. And the more you realize, like before The Simpsons, you know, everyone says, oh, what influences your cartoon? And it's almost like The Simpsons, you can't even say it was The Simpsons. The Simpsons is sort of just created the water that a fish swims in, you know, in terms of storyboarding yeah. and pacing and then the yeah. humor and all that. It's, yeah, it's really, it's really just hit me how influential that show was you know it was amazing it's amazing well joe thank you so much um we really loved having you on the show and appreciate you like really bring us into the world of bluey and your thinking and this was an absolute delight no worries chris good to meet you good to meet you too sylvie savage i feel like um i'm usually the one who's awestruck but you were super awestruck. Yeah. You were you were like you were blown away. I was. Yeah. I I think it's I mean, it's so rare to talk to somebody who is so in touch with what they want like creatively and like I feel like we're hitting him at this moment that's um you know, season 2 is out. So as he would say, 104 short films are out. He's working on the right. third season. He has all these like famous people who want to be involved. He's trying to figure that it out. That was wild. That was wild. And then he's struggling with, you know, when do you keep doing something and when do you not? And uh, totally. Um, the fact that he was just willing to put himself out there like that was so cool. And so many people have such a guard up in like an interview and he just yeah. didn't have one. No, he was like super... That that was the part of the interview that like I think I keep thinking about. I keep thinking about this idea that he was saying so many of his ideas for the show are based on his own life, right? He's yeah. raising two young girls. You have Bingo, you have Bluey, two young girl dogs. Um, and that he got so many of his ideas from just playing with them. Yeah. And now they've aged out of that group. Yeah. And he was like... They're in this new age range, right? Yeah. Like approaching adolescence and like that's fascinating in its own right. But like, what do you do with Bluey and Bingo? Like, what do you do with them? And what does Joe do as a creator? Well, and I would think it made me think about being a parent and like my kids are growing up and changing. And so it's like, as he's reflecting, it's impossible not to um, reflect on that same thing. And right. I mean, as a parent, like, you know, the the thing that other parents, when we talk about Bluey, we talk about how it's aspirational, right? Like how do these parents have so much fun? How do they turn things around to create such an amazing experience for their kids? So it's interesting to talk to the guy who just like, is like, well, the answer is you just wind them up. You just have like, okay, like it's <laughs> yeah. just like, it's like, is that the answer? It's like, is it yeah. the simple thing? And then I think also just thinking about, um, everyone goes through what he's going through, which is if you find success, at whatever you're doing, you eventually 
often the thing that helps you find success can disappear as you grow or scale. And so in his case, it's very literally, what I mean by this, like his kids are aging out of the age range. And so he's mm-hmm. like, the way he's gonna parent is gonna change. I see, I see, I see. But like yes. starting a company, you're often solving your own problem. Right. And then and you then don't have the problem solve anymore. It. And then right. you solve it. So how do you stay close to the customer when you scale? How do you stay? So his audience, his customer is the kids. So how does he stay close to them? And right. you, And I'm thinking myself about the same thing because we're constantly trying to figure out how to stay close to the customer or do you switch right. customers? And so it's it's a right. very universal thing. Um, but because of the structure of his relationship with the studio, they don't want yeah. a show that is for older kids. Right. And so he can't even really consider that, which is just an interesting thing because I think every entrepreneur can relate to this. I feel like any entertainer is like, do you have to stay close to that initial audience or do you evolve beyond them? And then in this case, it's so personal. And it's right. just like, it's about, you know, he's literally trying to translate his own parenting experience into a show that's universally beloved. And I'm sure people ask him for advice all the time. Yeah. And he may even be thinking like, I don't even know what advice to tell you about a four-year-old anymore. And so it's just a- well, he's, he, of, And he said that, he was yeah. like, sometimes I'm like, am I a fraud? Because like, I'm no longer, I don't have that close customer relationship sort of like in businessy terms um, because my girls are older now. Yeah. But I also think he was very much like, I kind of take it a day at a time. Like, obviously there's the existential, like you're trying to suss out the bigger picture. But like, I also appreciated that he was like, you gotta just take it day by day and you gotta like piece it out. And I think that's, that's very similar for entrepreneurs, right? Like you have to have the big picture in mind, but you also have to take it day by day. Totally, totally. Um, and so I think that's what's so cool about the conversation is it left me thinking a lot more. It wasn't like we we're investigating someone's like perfect story. Like he mm-hmm. was basically bringing us into like the story's unfinished and I don't know how yeah. it will end. Yeah, it has an ellipses. Yeah, which is just really cool because I think that's where we all are anyway. But look, it was a fun one. It was a fun to do that. It was, it was fun to kind of like step away from the, the SaaS like <laughs> tech world um, into yeah. the kids TV world. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's our show, right? Yeah, but we hope that listeners like this one. It's a little different. A little different, yes. And if you like it, uh, please rate and review it wherever wherever you listen to the pod. And um, as always, we want your feedback. We want your voice memos. We want your ideas. You can send those to ttlpod at wistia.com. We have a lot of new content coming out from Wistia Studios. A Better Workplace, our podcast about DE&I is crushing it. Love the podcast. Show business is out. There's more stuff coming. So if you want more content like this, please head to wistia.com to take a look at all of our other series. How's that, Sylvia? Are we good? We're great. We're gold. We got it? We got it. Okay. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia, hosted by Chris Savage, produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day, executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham of Edit Audio. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.